Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve, and joined by Elliot as well today. We will be discussing various political issues and current events through conservative and libertarian lenses. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. Um, hi, Ed. Hi, Jody. Hi, Elliot. Hi, guys. Hi, Steve. Hi. We're just going to get started today with something that just happened, and it gets back to cancel culture and libertarians in general, and that was that the YAL convention got canceled at the last minute. So I'm going to turn it over to Elliot to please briefly explain what YAL is and what happened. Uh, YAL, Young Americans for Liberty is a college-based organization that's national. They are based in Austin, Texas. They're a national organization that trains volunteers, so mostly college students. They have uh, various chapters, maybe a few hundred throughout the country in, in a lot of colleges. And they, they train these student activists and then these activists go out and they, they do things like knocking on doors and campaigning to help pro-liberty uh, candidates get elected, mostly to state-level houses and senates, I believe. They endorsed a, a few hundred candidates. They got, I think, over 200 candidates elected to state houses throughout the country in 2018, and their goal is a few hundred more in 2020. So their big conference this year that they've been planning for, for the, about a year was going to be in Austin, Texas, where they are headquartered. Um, a few months ago, they moved it from Austin, Texas, either because of the venue or because Austin, Texas had stricter uh, COVID guidelines. So they moved it to Dallas, Texas, where it's a little bit more conservative, uh, free, bigger, more space. It's not quite like Austin. So they moved it to Dallas. And again, I, I'm not in the top level of the know with, with the uh, organization of Yale, but from what I've been following a little bit, because I was invited, because Yale helped me with the election and, the, and they helped me a lot. And they help a lot of good state reps in New Hampshire. They campaign for them and help them get elected and reelected. So I was invited to this conference and I've been talking about it for months. Uh, the guests included Senator Rand Paul, his father Ron Paul, Congressman Massey, Congressman Amash, Governor Christy Noam, Kennedy from Fox Business, who's great, and, and a whole lot of other uh, great speakers, Glenn Jacobs, who's a mayor somewhere in Tennessee as well, and uh, Nick Freitas, who's a, a state rep in Virginia. They were all gonna be guests and they were essentially flying in to the conference and they've been working with the Dallas government and Dallas government gave them hoops to jump through more and more so over the past few months, telling the hotel venue where the big conference with around 1400 people was going to be. <laughs> I hope that was a dog and not a person dying. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a dog um, for those who are alarmed. Just, so, a COVID, just a COVID experience, right? Yeah, I guess the dog- we're, we're not a studio. I guess the dog um, has, diagnosed with COVID after that. Oh, he smelled, he smelled COVID on somebody. Yeah. So, so they were, were working with Dallas and then um, it seems like they were, they were obeying all of the, the social distancing guidelines, the mask guidelines, the hygiene. They were going to give out sanitizer and masks, of course, to everyone. Um, and then Monday night, so just, you know, it was going to start Thursday, the conference. It was going to be all weekend long starting Thursday. Mo late Monday night, Dallas essentially canceled it, just told the hotel they have to cancel the venue and didn't even consult with the Young Americans for Liberty uh, organization. And some people were doing road trips across the country for this. They were planning this for a year. Um, people spent six months planning this thing. 1,400 people were on their way, including you know the senators and, and uh, congressmen and governors who I listed. And a lot of people were doing road trips and flights. And I already had my flight booked, so I had to try to cancel it within a day, which within a day, it's hard to cancel a flight. And um, 
Yeah, so young, young Americans for Liberty is now pretty upset. So now they might target the Dallas mayor, who is a Democrat and probably not very friendly to Liberty. And I can't help but think this might be partly political. You mentioned cancel culture. I don't, I don't know if this is the same as the cancel culture of, you know, the, the typical cancel culture. This is more of the COVID-19 cancel culture, um, but we can, we can all discuss that. But yeah, they, they are extremely upset. Um, Cliff Maloney, the president of Yale, put out a statement saying he's furious. Christy Noam, the governor of South Dakota, she was on her way there. I think she uh, retweeted that and said, you know, some, something about the Dallas uh, mayor canceling it. And it's, it's uh, amazing. And what I pretty much said to Cliff, I spoke to him a little bit. I said, you know, we should have just done it. Call it a protest, call it a BLM protest, call it some other protest, but we should have done it. And then kind of like Atlas Shrugged, like Reardon said, just kind of put, put the pressure on them and say, if you want to arrest us or kill us, just do it. But we're not going to bow down to you and kiss your ring because you're not, you're not a king. So I think we still should have done it, to be honest. But um, of course, I'm, I'm not in that position. Yeah. So I just want to say I'm going to turn it over to Jody and Ed. I was so impressed with Yal because I remember when you ran for state rep in New Hampshire, they literally flew people up there mm -hmm. and knocked on doors for you. Th their involvement is incredible. They're incredible. incredible. They're one of the few. Athletes. They really do. Yeah. The work. They put out yeah. the door hangers and stuff. And I was a little surprised, I think everybody would be surprised that this happened in Texas, where they got canceled. And it goes to show no matter how red the state may be, if the locals are blue, it makes a difference. Obviously, we don't know if it was canceled for political reasons. We do know that other things aren't canceled. I read something about Al Sharpton supposed to get 100,000 people together. And uh, for some kind of thing, we'll have to wait and see if that gets canceled. Jody, any comments? I was just going to ask, um, Elliot, you're young enough. Were you part of Young Americans for Liberty? Well, I haven't been in college in, in 10 years. Um, oh, so I, young, I, good for you. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't in it in college. I think most of the members are in a, a chapter in a college. So I'm not a member in that sense. I'm a member as far as a dues-paying member, and I'm, I'm somewhat involved. I try to help them. They help me a lot. They help Liberty New Hampshire and throughout the U.S. a lot. So I'm a member. I'm somewhat involved. The people of Yale, the leaders are extremely nice to me. Um, I'm always flattered. Whenever they, they speak about me, they, they say, you know, uh, they speak of me pretty well. Um, so, but I'm not, I'm not a college student in one of their chapters, if that's what you mean. But I'm, I'm a member, I would say I'm somewhat involved, yeah. And I, I My understanding is they're more, cons they're more libertarian than conservative. Right? Yes, they're, they're pretty libertarian. They're almost Ron Paul libertarian? I'd say so. Okay, Ed, comments? Well, sure. My first thought is, I thought Democrats understood my body, my choice. Why don't I get to choose whether I want to go and spend time with these people and risk my body and my health on other people at this conference, potentially having a virus that might or might not infect me. And if it does infect me, might or might not harm me. I thought they, the Democrats were for my body, my choice. They obviously are not. Um, and my second sort of larger point, you know, Elliot, I think very wisely suggested that they should have gone forward with the, with the event as it was. And I think that's where we're, we're going as a, as a culture and as a society. And when I say that's where we're going, we're not, we're not going to win just by talk. We're going to have to do in order to beat these people. And, Civil disobedience obviously works. Look what the left is doing in all these big cities. I mean, it's not the kind of civil disobedience that I approve of, 
But that's what underlies all of the riots, all the protests, all the destruction they're doing. It's all couched in terms of civil disobedience. So why in the world can't we engage in civil disobedience and say, our body, our choice, my body, our choice. We have a First Amendment right to, to associate, to gather, to talk with people, to, to engage in political activities, which is what YAL, Young Americans for Liberty, does. And just more generally, um, we on the right are going to need to, at the very least, engage in civil disobedience. If not, I mean, I, I sure hope it's not going to get to the point where we have to get into actual violence and civil war, which a lot of people are talking about. At this stage, at a minimum, we need to be engaging in civil disobedience. Um, I, I'm on vacation this week. I'm not in my home state of New Jersey. I'm in North Carolina, and I'm amazed at um, at two two related things. The mask mandate here in North Carolina is is virtually the same as the one in, in New Jersey. Every store has a sign that says you can't be served unless you have a mask on it on. And I can tell you in New Jersey, I have tried to go into stores without a mask, and they won't let me in, even though. If I were to say I have a health issue, they're not allowed to question me. They question me in New Jersey. But I can tell you down here in North Carolina, I have not put a mask on since I've been here. And nobody other than my son has said anything to me, um, which that to me is a good sign. But the bad sign is virtually everybody I see is complying with the mandate. When I go into stores, when I go... Uh, I took my son to register him for school and there were probably 200, 250 people in a, you know, picking up Chromebooks, you know, between students and faculty and, and uh, parents. And I was the only one out of that 200, 250 people that was not wearing a mask. I was the only one. And, you know, my son was a little mortified by it, but, you know, I said to him, you know, somebody needs to take a stand. Somebody needs to be the one to say, no, no more. And, you know, I'm not looking to be a hero, but I'm not looking to be just one of the crowd either. See. And so, so you know, that's what we need to do. We, we, somebody needs to stand up and say no to these people. And we're going to live our lives as free men in a free society. And like, like Elliot said, come get us. You want to so put us in jail? Come get us. You know, somebody did say that, the gym owners in New Jersey, and I know they were arrested and then they kicked down the wood that was blocking their entrance or something. But again, are they gonna be able to play it out to the end? And what happens is if they actually do go to jail? And it's not New York where if you go to jail, they let you right out. I don't know what the answer to that question is, Steve, but I'm, I'm proud of them. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's not for me to say who should take the risk of going to jail, um, but God bless them. You know, if they're willing to take that risk, we need people who are willing to take that risk. We need people who are willing to stand up to tyranny and say, not me. No, I, I'm 100% on their side. I assume they have a GoFundMe. Um, getting back to things we've mentioned last week, what happens when GoFundMe's stop allowing us to fund this kind of civil disobedience? But It'll I happen I, any minute now. More power to them. I think it's fantastic that they have the guts, which kind of brings me in a, in a funny sort of way the topic I really wanted to discuss, it's very controversial between conservatives and libertarians, but came up this week because the fine gentleman, quote unquote, 
who uh, was responsible for the Boston Marathon bombing a bunch of years ago, had his death penalty um, reversed or remanded back to another court because of some legal technicality, I believe. And I think it brings to the fore, are we or are we not for the death penalty and under what circumstances? And really briefly, I have a very simple opinion. If somebody beyond any shadow of a doubt committed murder, and in my humble opinion, even attempted murder, I think they should be put to death. And I think they should be put to death very quickly and publicly. Because I think the problem with our, um, with crime in this country is that people don't get punished harshly enough and quickly enough. The death penalty, the way it's done now, 20, 30 years later, will never be a deterrent. And what I mean by people beyond the reasonable um, doubt that are guilty, I mean, if you saw them do it, something like when Rabbi Mayor Kahana was killed many years ago in front of 50 people and the guy got let off. So a situation well, like Tarnayev, who confessed to doing it, I think bragged about doing it, expresses zero remorse for doing it. We have no doubt he did it. I believe there should be a death penalty. Uh, when I was more conservative, I was much more pro-death penalty. I'm a little more cynical about trusting the government to decide who gets it. And I believe there are a lot of libertarians who are 100% against it under any case. Jody, I'll go to you. Opinions on the death penalty. Yeah, I'm fluid on this subject. I used to be anti-death penalty. Now I'm for the death penalty, but I do worry. I worry, uh, and this is a case maybe where I'm open for discussion, but I do see where certain, the judge picking the jury, things were missed. It shouldn't have been held. Maybe this shouldn't have been held in Boston and he wouldn't move it. These little details, I never want a criminal to go unpunished, but I also don't want people who aren't criminals to end up being punished by a corrupt system. So I'm trying to balance between, yes, I want criminals punished, and yes, I'm for the death penalty under circumstances, like you said, where it's very obvious, but I also don't wanna have that um, sort of outweigh the value of a really secure justice system. Right, so I'm only advocating it when there's absolutely zero doubt. I love watching these Innocence Project type movies. I actually, when I worked in a prison many, many years ago, there was one gentleman who I was 100% convinced was innocent. And the reason I say that is he was coming back for his annual parole review. And he had been out on parole for 10 years. And when they asked him how he's doing, he burst out crying. He goes, I never did this. And I said to myself, had he been guilty? He had no reason to say that. He was out and free. So I know there are people who are found guilty who aren't which is why I'm limiting it to somebody did it in public, confesses to have done it, it's on videotape, we all saw it, there's no doubt. So, then I believe it needs to be a deterrence that way. So you agree okay. with that part, Jody? Yes, but so are we saying then, from a legal standpoint, the law is different under those circumstances? Like the whole adjudication process is different under those circumstances and only those circumstances. And all of those fine-tuning details, like uncontaminated jurors, if that's the right word, um, are a little less relevant under those circumstances than they would be if there was a little shadow of doubt. Is that, can we function like that, is my question. That's actually a really good question that I absolutely don't want to answer because I didn't think about it. It's a great question. <laughs> Ed, 
and then I'll get well, back to I've Ali. got a couple of thoughts on the subject. And, and let me start by saying, Steve, you sort of equivocated in your, your lead up and your discussion here because beyond a shadow of a doubt and beyond a reasonable doubt are two very different things. Uh, beyond a shadow of a Lawyers. doubt. Huh? <laughs> Lawyers. It's, but you know what? No, you're right. You're, I'm just saying you're right. You know, if we're going to communicate with language, we have to be precise in our words. And I agree. there's a big difference between beyond a shadow of a doubt. If the standard is beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't think anyone is ever going to get the death penalty. But if the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt, I think that we have lots of cases where it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, as far as libertarians are concerned, I don't see how you can have any criminal punishment, whether it's death penalty or incarceration or anything or fines or anything else without police, without courts, without judges and without uh, a criminal justice system. And most libertarians are opposed to those things, uh, not just suspicious of them, as you indicated, Steve, but opposed to them. So if the complaint is we're not punishing criminals enough, the libertarian solution is don't punish them at all, um, which is not my solution. Um, as far as the death penalty, I'm a strong proponent of it. And I think every argument against it ultimately boils down to human beings are, in, are, are fallible and can make mistakes. And if we make a mistake with the death penalty, we can't bring the person back. And I'm sympathetic to that argument and that objection. I think it's a reasonable point. But the reality is no mistake can be undone. If we make somebody sit in jail for 20 years, and then we realize it was a mistake, we can't give them those 20 years back. And it, it, I'm not in favor of making mistakes. I'm not in favor of a system that encourages mistakes, but I'm also not, I don't think it's a reasonable argument to say, well, because we can make mistakes, we can't have certain types or any types of punishment. Um, yes, there are gonna be innocent people that wind up getting jail time or even the death penalty, I think personally, the system is so stacked in favor of skepticism towards criminal punishment that I just don't think that there are that many people that are that are getting that uh, that penalty um, undeservedly. I'm I'm not saying that it never happens, and it's very unfortunate anytime it does happen, but I just don't think that that's a reasonable argument to to be opposed to any kind of criminal punishment because. We are human beings. We are fallible. We are going to make mistakes. The, the, the proper way to deal with it is to, A, try and limit mistakes, and B, when we make mistakes, try and correct them as best we can. And if we have someone who's dead because we improperly imposed a death penalty, um, obviously we can't bring that person back. But what we can do is try and put more safeguards into the system um, to try and ensure it doesn't happen again. But we can't, in my view, we shouldn't put so many safeguards in that it's ver that it ultimately renders the system undoable and unworkable, which is really what's happened now. Um, this Boston Marathon bomber, as Steve said, has confessed. Actually, he did confess. Um, he bragged about it. And I believe at the sentencing uh, portion, he actually expressed some remorse. So we don't have any doubt that this guy did it. Um, you know, as a lawyer, yes, technicalities do matter to me. We do need to protect the Constitution. Um, and I haven't read the full opinion as to why this guy was, was let go. I know, uh, I think Jody mentioned that 
Uh, we had a potential contaminated juror pool. They didn't move the trial out of Boston. I think they said everyone in Boston is going, going to be biased against the Boston bomber, which makes sense. Well, it doesn't make sense, though, because no, I'm, I'm I saying anyone ever. I don't think that the framers or anyone else ever yeah. thought that you have to find jurors that are basically complete morons and idiots. That's what I mean. I mean, it's reasonable that people, every, all Americans hate him. Boston people probably hate him more, right. but all Americans hate terrorists. It's exactly right. It was national yeah. news. If the standard is we've got to find 12 people that never heard of what happened, yeah. we couldn't get a trial. That can't be the standard. That's not reasonable. So Ed, I just want to say, um, I was very careful. I'm talking about beyond the shadow of a doubt when we actually, the whole world saw somebody do something. The reasonable doubt standard. Somebody? Standard, but you didn't see it was him. No, I, in a case when Mayor Kahana was shot, he was shot in front of 50 people. Okay. So in a case where there's zero doubt, I'm 100% comfortable with the death penalty. In the case where there's doubt based on other things, not legal technicalities, to me, it's a slightly different argument. Um, I don't want to speak up too much about the Mike Flynn case, but if I remember correctly, he's been denied a second trial besides being denied a dismissal of his charges based on no one wants to prosecute him. And he did have a contaminated juror, so we don't have a very fair justice system. All oh, no, I'm the Mike Flynn case, there wasn't a jury. He actually had a guilty plea that he went to withdraw. It wasn't Flynn. It was, some, it was, it was Roger Stone, I think. Well, Roger Stone had to send every SWAT member in the universe to his house because he's the most dangerous old man in the world. They had, they had a horrifically contaminated jury. I think it was the Roger Stone case. But, but in any case, that's why Jody's question intrigued me. How would I do it? But I'm just saying in a case where there's no doubt, where they confessed, it's on video, everybody saw it. To me, I, in that case, I am pro-death penalty. As cynical I am as I am at how the Justice Department functions, which we're seeing really well from Operation Crossfire, Hurricane, et cetera. Okay, Elliot, I'll give a, you what? You can't get a conviction without proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Once you have proof beyond any reasonable doubt, what's the objection to the death penalty? Um, I wouldn't pull the switch because there are maybe it's one percent, maybe it's point five percent of people who aren't guilty who have been reasonable convicted. doubt, Steve. Reasonable what does reasonable doubt mean? No, no, reasonable doubt. Okay. Reasonable doubt is the standard. It's not my standard. Okay. I'm Isn't saying my standard to actually pull the switch. I wouldn't do it based on reasonable doubt because I don't trust the government. I see what they did if reasonable reason doubt with everybody. If reasonable that they doubt, then the guy gets acquitted. There's no guilt. Oh, no, no. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying what the law is. I'm saying what I would do if I were in charge. You're saying personally versus the law. I'm reasonable doubt, but I would not pull the switch on the electric chair. Okay, I'm not changing okay. the standard for guilty, but the only standard for death penalty in my eyes would be no doubt. I'm just asking people's opinions. Right. I'm not saying, I have a million comments about this topic in the last okay. one. I have to take some notes so I don't forget. And I'm sure I forgot some of it. Talk slowly <laughs> and calmly. Rewinding a tiny bit because I didn't get a chance to, to say. Ed mentioned my body, my choice. And he said, you know, Democrats in the first minute of the show, he said Democrats used to care about that. Obviously, they don't. They don't care about my body, my choice. They care about control. But as far as the, the conference, that would, I know what they would say. Their argument would be, well, it's not my body, my choice. If you guys cause an outbreak, you're going to kill everyone because it's, you know, it's a pandemic type thing. So it does affect others. Um, I think it's still a bad argument for a lot of reasons. We published an article about the inflated numbers. Personally, in my medical opinion, I think the 
COVID numbers of cases and deaths are inflated by as much as 1,000 fold. That, that's my medical opinion. And I have around 100 sources in my article backing that. But now, now where our argument is a lot better is hydroxychloroquine. Because shouldn't it be between you and your doctor to decide whether you can have hydroxychloroquine or should it be up to one politician? So one politician is vetoing you and your doctor. That's sick. And that really violates my body, my okay, choice. So let, me, let me interrupt you for a second just to conflate everything together here. Okay. This Yale doctor, who I think has a real degree, said that had we used hydroxychloroquine, we would have saved up to 100,000 lives. Based on that, if he could prove that, I would sentence certain people to jail, but I wouldn't give them the death penalty. I okay. think, so that's I, with that. I would love to have a discussion with, with Ed about whether you think we could you know, charge some of these people with, with some kind of homicide, because like you said, Maybe thousands of lives could have been saved. Well, he apparently if had been banned. Okay, but back to the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I have a lot more things to say. Uh, I wanted to mention that and that. Um, at some point, you mentioned the gym owner. I saw um, some quick meme or article of the gym owners broke into their own gym because the cops boarded it up. And they broke into their own gym and kept working out and conducting business. Of course, I love it. Um, makes me proud of New Jersey, which is quite rare for me to say. But I was very proud of those guys. I wish I could... Uh, Help, you know, support, patronize their gym. If I were closer, I would go work out there. Um, but again, I do have to point out that, that you know, the, the cops did enforce it. And, and I think we spoke last week of cops having some discretion. It's an interesting discussion of they have some, but, but they also do have to follow orders. Um, so to the, the death penalty, this is where it gets very interesting. I was raised conservative, of course, and I was in support of it. Um, I think for someone like Sirenev, terrorists, or even a cold-blooded murderer or, or, or rapist or someone who commits very serious crimes beyond, beyond uh, reasonable doubt, I think should be, should be killed. If someone really doesn't deserve life, you know, some people could repent, maybe get a second chance. Some people like Sirenev who bombed and, and killed people and they are terrorists who have no remorse and they're sick, sick animals who aren't human, they should be, should be put down. Um, now, that, so that's where I feel personally. Practically speaking, in, on Earth, like you said, humans are fallible. On Earth, where governments are beyond fallible, governments are actually uh, disingenuous, often corrupt, very incompetent. So beyond fallible, they're super incompetent. And there's a, a tremendous amount of issues. And where humans are incompetent, if you look at some of the studies of, of people picking people out of a lineup, like Stephen mentioned, if someone saw them in broad daylight shooting, you know, 50 people saw him shoot him. No, that is actually not beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's not even beyond decent, that's not even decent evidence. Because if it was one person and they saw him for a second, people, even without the trauma of seeing him shoot him, people could not pick him out of a lineup the next day. There are studies of people brought before police stations picking in a lineup. They are terrible because their memories are fluid and because of other biases, but also memories change a lot. So if you kind of think that it was that person because they look like it might be the person, they pick wrong people in the lineup all the time. Juries are even stupider. Juries are 12 people too dumb to get out of jury duty. That's what a jury is. So it means they don't value their time of, at more than like $47 a day because that's what they pay, right? So juries are actually very, very stupid and juries could be selected by one or both lawyers. They could dismiss people who might have a bias. Obviously, Ed was more about jury selection. I know very little, but there's some selection there for better or for worse. But um, I, I don't think juries are infallible. I think juries are, are probably one of the worst ways to decide this. I understand that, you know, a jury of peers sounds fair, but it's one of those things like democracy that sounds fair, but I would rather a few people who are decently smart or maybe even elected like a governor or elected like a judge, but the jury, it's, it's maybe like the worst way of all of deciding justice because it's 12 really, really incompetent people who could be, who could easily be, uh, 
you know, influenced by a, one decent lawyer. Um, so I, I think juries are terrible. I think a lot of judges are corrupt. I have bookmarks of hundreds, maybe thousands of judges who are actual like, like child molesters. Um, not to mention the drunks and the corrupt pieces of crap and the other horrible people who are judges in the US. Um, so there's a lot of issues. So just to take the counter argument of what all you guys said about, you know, making the case for the death penalty, I would make the case against it saying judges, juries, lawyers, people taking out of a lineup evidence. A lot of it has tremendous amounts of issues. It's, and, and it's, there are studies about, you know, lineups and about juries and memories are really, really bad. So I might say I remember something, but it actually wasn't like that. So people can actually create memories and change what they think is in their memory and to kind of make, make up half of their memory and fill in the gaps. So it's actually very scary. Um, and obviously, Ad, I'm sure you're familiar with, with uh, uh, Blackstone's ratio, or, or some people say Benjamin Franklin said, 100 innocent men should go free rather than one innocent man be convicted. So, and, and again, that's where I, I get more libertarian. The more libertarian I get, the more I believe that. And that's why when the death penalty was uh, repealed, there's no more death penalty in New Hampshire, it was repealed a few months ago, I, I was happy. I understand both sides of it. Um, the governor wanted to keep so, it. Actually, yeah. Am I correct that all four of us who are obviously the biggest self-anointed experts that there are on this subject, all four of us believe that if there is no shadow of a doubt, 50 people witnessed it, it's on videotape, we all would be pro-death penalty in that case? Yeah, if it's 100% DNA evidence, yes, I think so. Okay. I, I think yeah. we do agree on that. I think we disagree on how much we trust the government when it's reasonable doubt and whether it's legal technicalities. Now, to defend Ed, who doesn't need my defense, um, and I think Ed sometimes conflates libertarians with anarchists, which is another discussion for another yes. day. But if you're a libertarian and you don't believe in the death penalty and you do want to punish criminals, you're stealing money from my pocket to house them the rest of their lives. So I've never argued with a libertarian about that, but they got a big problem because they're stealing my money because they're against a the death penalty. Correct. You know? So I actually said the same thing. I made the same argument. Housing someone with three hots in a cot for 30 years costs millions of dollars from taxpayers. And then someone told me I was wrong. And because I'm the brilliant, open-minded, amazing editor-in-chief that I consider myself to be, I listened and I did the research and it's true. A death penalty actually costs more to taxpayers than life in prison for okay. like 20 or 30 years of life. Even, and even if that were true, even if that were true, which I don't believe it's true. It's true if you look at the numbers. It's true because the, of their appeal process. Yes, I know. Yes. Okay. And it's not a problem. I personally. Then take that out. If that's the cost. I, I know, I know. I personally will buy the book every time at Home Depot. So that, I've never bought that experience. Well, they say nine millimeter costs 25 cents a round. I know. But the fact That's is the courts cost millions over 30 years of appeals because, and crap. Elliot. Because Elliot. the appeals process. the appeals process. We can't afford it. And I, I will say one thing. I never met a prisoner, and I knew a bunch, who wasn't scared to death of being put, put to death. Okay? So that part I don't buy. I'm just saying if our alternative is spending our tax money to house these people, libertarians may have an issue with that. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. Had a comment? Uh, well, you know, I think Jody has got it exactly right that the, the cost is a phony cost because it's, I know. Just, it's about appeals. If you look back, for instance, at John Wilkes Booth, who murdered, who assassinated Abraham Lincoln, he was tried, convicted, and executed within months of, of the assassination. And that was at a time when we didn't warp the process and warp the system with these frivolous appeals except they're no longer frivolous. I mean, if you look at the Sarnayev case that came down, it wasn't a frivolous appeal. He got it reversed. So we've, we've elevated frivolous appeals to actual real appeals. And, and ultimately, 
the, these arguments for these appeals are really arguments against the death penalty per se. They're not arguments that it's being implemented incorrectly. It's that we shouldn't have a death penalty and it's just being chipped away at um, little by little. So I just, I wanna, I, bring want up, I wanna bring up an incident that happened before many people in college were born today. But in 2001, something happened really, really bad. I can't remember the details because they weren't allowed to show it on television. Someone did something. Someone did something, thank you. And to my knowledge, the uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed still hasn't even been put on trial. So we're doing. Really? Is that true? Isn't that true, Ed? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I I don't know. I'm pretty sure he has not even been brought to trial. Is this federal or international that's, court? Because I don't know anything about international court. He's okay. on Guantanamo, but it's federal. So our justice system doesn't work because it doesn't work. So in the real world. I think several months is enough time. Now, by the way, any of you watch Perry Mason or am I the only old phobie here? I've watched it. Okay. <laughs> so in Perry Mason, the uh, preliminary hearing is usually like two days later. And I, I really have to laugh how much the world has changed in the 60 years since that show, you know, got on TV. Now, preliminary hearing is like a year down the road and then they set it for two years down the road, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not I'm a criminal defense lawyer, but I, I think that the actual, the, the preliminary hearing does take place relatively quickly because it's really just a, an administrative quick process. It's not a, a trial. Yeah, but in Perry um, Mason, they actually get witnesses and usually somebody breaks down and admits to doing it. But I'm just saying I get a kick out of the fact that even if there is a trial, it happens like a month later. And now it's, it's like years down the road. Now, somebody told me once Perry Mason wasn't real. I don't believe that, but there is such an opinion out there. So I want to make that clear. Well, as, let me say let me say two things as a lawyer. Uh, you know, first on Perry Mason, uh, that's not the way the real world works. I don't care how good you are at cross examination, you never. A lot you of never heads are to break down, huh? A lot of heads are exploding. You never get these liars to ever admit that they're lying. They never break down. They just double down. It's like um, Law and Order's not real too. Is that what you're going to yeah, say? Don't tell me that. Elliot, let me just say something about one thing you said earlier. You, you said that you really distrust juries. And as a, I'm surprised to hear you say that as a libertarian, because to me, I think juries are an important check on arbitrary government power. It's a chance to put ordinary people in charge of judging the law and the facts, even though they're not, they're instructed to only judge the facts. Um, you know, I don't believe what happened, say, in the OJ case was just or proper, um, but that's the kind of outcome that I think you can't eliminate when you have a jury. And, and I think it's an important function. If the community thinks that something is not right, it's a form of jury nullification in that situation is to me a, a reasonable and a good thing. I think that it's a check on the government and, and I'm surprised that any libertarian um, especially one as brilliant as you are, Elliot, you say so many brilliant things. Um, to me, juries are an important check on the corruption and, and bad government practices that you so eloquently argue against. So I think that juries are vital. I would never want to abolish the jury system and just have uh, professional experts or just judges or, or a bureaucracy of experts citing cases. Yeah, thanks. Um, my I don't know what the solution is, but but again, yeah. they're they're ordinary. They're not legal experts, obviously, and and also they could be manipulated 
more easily than a stronger person, it would be hard to manipulate you. But I can manipulate a jury, right? So that's another concern. Those, those two big concerns. Yeah. So I'm going to get to Cody in one second. The solution is, let me just quickly say, I think the solution is just to accept that there's no perfect system. And we're never going to find a perfect system. But the, one, that, the jury system is pretty good, I think. And for all of its flaws, I think it's better than the alternatives where you just have a, 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 a series of uh, government-certified government experts uh, sitting in place of juries, whether as judges or as just some new bureaucracy that's going to decide cases. I, I would I agree for sure. Yeah. More very people. As I, I want to sure agree that I trust government give, less. Than I'm going to give it back to Jody in a second, and then I'll let our guest in for a moment. My father, who was in the legal field for about 45 years, only once in his life said he wanted to write a book, and the book he wanted to write was against the jury system, which was quite interesting. I'd never heard all of his arguments. I tend to agree with Elliot that jurors are people too dumb or incompetent to get out of it. Um, so I, and by the way, to take a very strong libertarian position, which is probably 100% unpopular, I believe jury is illegal servitude. I think they're stealing your freedom and saying you are a slave to the government for as long as we feel like keeping you a slave. So I got a lot of issues how juries are even constitutional. And I know that's a ridiculously unpopular opinion. Um, let me get this guy unmuted. Hello? Can you hear Hello. us? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Are you um, okay? All the way from the are. other side of the world. The, what we've been talking about until now, and maybe we can get you to agree also, we were talking about the death penalty. And do we all agree that if there's absolutely no doubt that someone committed a heinous crime, that we would agree to the death penalty. We're talking about Sarnaev, who I assume you heard the judge um, reversed or remanded his death sentence. On Sarnaev? Yeah. Yep. I have indeed. I actually, I think I'm the one who sent you that article a few days ago. I think it's appalling. I think when somebody admits that they set off a bomb with the intent of killing hundreds of people, I feel like that's a pretty open and shut case. You walk him out, you let him have a last piece of steak, and you shoot him in the backyard. That's my personal opinion. I, there is no question that Tarnayev committed the crime that he's been accused of, convicted of committing. There's no question. There's infinite evidence. He admitted to it. He's proud of it. I don't think there's any doubt that the death penalty should exist in those cases. And I don't think that's a matter of trust in government. I think that's just a matter of basic, fundamental logic, rationale, sensibility even putting aside ethics and morality. The man said, yes, I killed a bunch of people because I think I just want to kill them. As far as I'm concerned, that's more than enough grounds to throw him in the river. Okay, Jody, let me get back to you because I know I've been ignoring. Go ahead. I, I, a couple things. Um, uh, based on what Laser just said, I, I'm fluid on this subject, but really, I, we really have seen a lot of instances where people confess to something that they didn't do. So that, that expectation alone isn't enough for me, and I'm not saying I don't support the death penalty. But one of the things I wanted to say, going back to jurors, um, and this is, you know, there's anecdotal stories, but in medical malpractice in particular, it's a system really in too many instances of winning the lottery, and those jurors often kind of understand that. And when they see a well, you know, what they see as a wealthy physician who has medical malpractice insurance to pay for this bill and they have a grieving family, 
their emotion generally is going to be, well, the physician can still practice and he's, you know, it's his medical malpractice that pays for it. And, you know, it's their emotion and their feelings that sort of outweigh what the facts are and what's real. So I just want to put that in there about my concerns with the jury. With jury pools. Well, I think they are easily manipulated. You can't tell a jury that there's insurance money. That's just not. No, but they know it. They know it by now. Everybody knows it by now. Yeah. And not to get off on that tangent, because we can pick that up another time. My understanding is all of these $100 million awards on appeal get chopped down by 10 times. And it, the whole thing is almost silly. Because you're right, juries are easily swayed in those cases. But I think that's a side topic. I want to move on to one more topic. And we have a great group here to discuss the uh, teachers. Uh, we don't have any teachers in our group. But the teachers who are making a really big deal about we will not go back to teaching unless. And how we feel about that. And I saw one nurse wrote a pretty interesting article. And she was actually a left winger, a self-professed left winger, saying, I'm a nurse. I did my job. Do yours. So, matter of fact, since we have a nurse, let's go to the nurse. And sh should teachers be able to say, we won't teach unless not only do you give us masks and PPE, et cetera, but you also have to defund the police and you have to, I don't know what else you have to do. You have to- Ban all guns, ban charter schools, and right. institute for communism. <laughs> and, and we still pay property taxes, but go ahead, Jody. No, I, I read that piece by that nurse as well. I was rather impressed because she did draw the distinction that she chose profession with, you know, these possibilities of infectious disease. So she at least made that distinction, whereas teachers didn't. But she made the great point, which I've heard many other people make, well, what about the other um, essential workers, like the grocery store clerks? They don't get the option of, wait, not me. I don't have to do it. But the biggest thing for me personally uh, again, as a nurse and a, a believer in the objectives of science, science really doesn't support that this is an, an, an extra dangerous environment because there's a bunch of kids and it's not like they're not giving guidelines. The American Academy of Pediatrics, they're giving guidelines for safe opening. They're not saying willy nilly, we don't care. They're literally giving guidelines for safe opening. Um, and there was, a, there was at least, um, a sort of retrospective, um, data pool that I saw of European nations who had reopened in the spring. And, um, let's see if I'm going to remember this correctly. So three nations who reopened in the spring during the pandemic, three of those nations, um, saw an increase in their, um, infectious rate, case rate. Two of the nations did not. The rest of them that they didn't report either or. But I can say the two nations that didn't have, didn't see an increase in case rate, they didn't do a lot of these crazy like masks all day kind of thing. They didn't do masks. They didn't do things that all of these people are saying are a must do. And it's like, can't we really just Beeline on what does the science say and make scientific as much as possible or more than what we're doing um, decisions. I don't, I don't think the teacher's emotions are, are what we should be going on. Okay. You're, you're, also, you're bringing in the science 
which is a whole other story as we've discussed. Is there any science to back this up at all? Since I'm always about agreement, do all of us agree that if the schools don't open, we should stop paying property taxes? Woohoo! 100%. Yes. I would like to see a, a, at least a credit for it, sure. Um, I think, you know, more generally, Ronald Reagan had the right answer to this question when the air traffic controllers went on strike. You are fired if you don't come to work, period. And, you know, more generally, I would like to see a movement to completely decertify any public sector union. The whole purpose of a union, if you listen to the union rhetoric, is to protect workers from the rapacious capitalists and that the enlightened government is going to protect them with a union and with the sanction of a union. Well, these public employees are working for that benevolent government. They have no need for a union. It is wrong. They should be subject to being fired. They should not have special protections that you and I don't have. And there should not be public sector unions, period. It's a conflict of interest for the government to be negotiating contracts with public sector unions. So uh, I think that Jody is right that the science isn't in favor of what they're doing. Uh, I think that the demands that they're making, which some of which Steve alluded to are completely unrelated to, safe, to their own safety or the safety of their students. Um, I think it's clearly a political issue and on a political issue, let's decertify public sector unions. That should be the answer. They should be fired if they don't come back to work. Period. I just want to bring in one other issue. It's a character issue. And, you know, some of us are from different generations than some of the other people on the show right now. But I remember many years ago, I worked in a hospital kitchen. And I remember the people who had worked there for 20, 30 years, old-fashioned people. And they said, you know, when we had snow, there were times we stayed here for two weeks. And we just didn't go home for two weeks. What? Because our job was to make sure the patients had food. And if we couldn't get home, we stayed and we worked for two weeks straight. And that was what we used to call character or work ethic. So even beyond the union issues, beyond everything else, where's the work ethic? Where's, you know, supposedly teachers go into it like nurses do. It's a calling and the world can't live without us. And it's so important what we do. Well, if it's so important that the world can't live without you, where's your work ethic? So I think that's just a separate character issue which those of us over 40 may have seen differences in over our lifespans already. Um, Leigh, you had a, co you had a uh, comment? Guess not. You know, I wanted to say, has anybody noticed this bizarre development of a public sector union, teachers wanting to defund another public sector union, cops? I'm actually like, enjoying that, by the way. Very <laughs> interesting. I'm like, okay. Well, it's actually interesting because, you know, the cops unions have been coming out a lot back in Trump, which is fascinating because obviously unions as a well, whole- Well, that's why the teachers unions probably want to defund them. It's political. <laughs> that, that may be another issue, but it is interesting that even the unions are being split. You know, a lot of commentators have said one of the great things that Trump has done is separated a lot of mice from a lot of men. And a lot of people were showing the true colors. So he has- police unions backing him. So it means the conservative side is overcoming the union side. I think we probably all agree that public sector unions should be disbanded. 
100%. Wasn't that FDR's opinion as well? No yes. Way. That they shouldn't have started. FDK, actually, but I'm not sure. I think it was FDR. I'll look it up because I, I did look that up before. But uh -huh. Laser might know. Sure Laser's was was history. Yeah, I know, but public sector unions weren't automatically in there. I'm actually not totally anti-union, but I am for sure for public sectors. Rush Limbaugh explained many years ago that public sector unions are money laundering operations. You give mm -hmm. us a raise, we give you donations, and then you give us a raise, and we give you donations. And I thought and it was votes. a brilliant point. So. It was FDR on public sector unions. Okay, um, so for the record, Ed just agreed with FDR. <laughs> and I can't believe you. <laughs> and I just FDR. lost a friend. Call me you know, FDR Republican, I guess. Uh, yeah. Public sector unions aside, I think unions were are one of those things where they they had their moment in time and they had their value and they've become they've become what they set out to destroy, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, if we had a whole show on unions, I would actually defend them. I was actually a shop steward of a union for a while, which is kind of funny. I I still think they do have a place, but I think they're definitely public sectors no, and I agree with you there. Even in the private sector, my, my brother works for Ford. I'm just saying he has the stories. They've become a parasite killing their host. Yeah, I think they Since they're all pessimists now, I'll have to take the optimistic stand, which is quite rare for me. I think that this moment is a, an optimistic one for the cause of liberty and for people who do not trust politicians to educate their kids, which is probably most of us, because I plan to uh, homeschool my kids. So. What we're seeing now over the past few months, almost the whole school year and maybe even next school year, is kids being, you know, staying at home and being educated by their parents. And parents and kids are realizing, I think in the majority of cases, I believe, that it's working out better. They can spend more time with family, which, as we know, the, the government's role was to uh, dismantle the family and, and separate them and, and take the kids for, you know, 40, 50, 80 hours a week and let parents see their kids maybe on evenings and weekends. But now that families are back together and being educated together and spending more time together and kids can learn more efficiently and parents can spend more time with their kids and teaching the values that they actually want to impart on them, I think people are realizing that it works out a lot better. And especially today, this would still apply 100 years ago, but today where the Khan Academy and other YouTube sites and Duolingo and plenty of free sites, thousands, millions of free sites for education on the internet are available to everyone for free at their fingertips on the laptop or, or any uh, smartphone, anything with internet, people are realizing that they can, can and are educating their kids for free at home more efficiently. They don't need to pay taxes to the tune of $18,000, you know, $15,000 per kid, you know, per student per year for government-run schools on average. We should get all that tax money back. And I think this is a, a positive moment. I'm going to take the optimistic stance here, I think, because a lot of parents are realizing, hey, we can homeschool. Let's just homeschool next year. And I've heard, I think, a, a few a few million maybe might even start homeschooling next year. So even if government schools want their kids back, they might have a tremendous uphill battle for getting the kids back to school and then, you know, keeping that, that property taxes because some people will want it back if they're not going to use it anyway. Okay, Lazy, you want to share an opinion about education? Seems to be there, but apparently he's not. Um, before we close, we should just touch on the one more story about the uh, latest person to leave the media and write a vicious resignation letter. So I'm sure everybody caught it. Um, what was the name of this person? Ooh, I can't remember. The person who uh, resigned and left a really long letter again. Now the press is making everything worse. 
Someone now, from MSNBC, I don't know who. Yeah, it may have been. I don't know that it'll ever change the press, but it's interesting to see more and more people even from within. Yeah, hopefully that happens that, that you know, as, as one person does, people will start to get the uh, courage to do it and Except for, it seems that journalism schools are uh, at least as far left as education schools, social work schools, and maybe law schools, and, and they're trained to be so far left. But it is interesting that there's some slight rebellion against the unbelievable bias of the press. And between the press and the education system is why conservatives will always lose. Because even if conservatives have the children, the, the left always gets them between the press and education. Slightly off topic, I saw somebody put up a YouTube yesterday, one of my favorite subjects ever. The only time to ever make somebody conservative is when they open up their first paycheck. Mm -hmm. And it was great YouTube of somebody, I don't know, anybody else here have teens who have gotten a first paycheck? Wait, what was the question? Do you have a teenager who has gotten their first paycheck? I've got a teenager, but he hasn't gotten a paycheck yet. Yeah, it is an amazing teachable moment. The first time a teenager opens up a paycheck and said, what the heck happened to my money? Well, you know, I mean, I've got three kids. I'm working very hard to at least get them to ask the tough questions before they get there. So that as they go through high school, I don't want them to get beat up or get bad grades because teachers hate them, but I do want them to at least behind the scenes be asking the right questions, which I did not do. Okay. Now, where you are, you're, you're, I believe, more in suburbia. Are the schools as left-wing as they are in big cities? Yeah, I'm on the outskirts of Chicago. So, I mean, it's probably not as bad as Chicago. My kids go to a private school, but and the, the private school they go to is probably moderately better than the public but it still has not enough so for example they'll talk about global warming but they won't talk about the alternative perspective i don't mind that they talk about these things i'm all for it but when you only give one perspective then i mind well actually I, i'm a convert until yesterday i did not believe in global global warming but yesterday um some of you were not in the new york area yesterday we had horrible horrible storms and a lot of trees were uprooted and Cuomo said, or de Blasio said, it's because of global warming. So I, I've now given in. Because yeah, I looked too. it up and there has never been a storm before in history where trees were uprooted. <laughs> so it must be global warming. And let me ask you one more question, Jody. Are your kids allowed to say publicly that there's only two genders as far as school goes? Um, Honestly, they're in a Catholic school. I don't think it's ever come up. Okay, so that's, that's the point. Because in public schools, I think in California, I think, teachers aren't allowed to talk in terms of even mommy and daddy. Okay, so- In one more year, it'll apply to private schools. Get it a year. Listen, I would love to do, I want to ask, Ed, this is something I'd love to do in the future. Why is that not a case for the civil, Supreme Court? Why is it that public dollars can't go to a religious institution, but they can go to an educational institution that teaches a political viewpoint and not both. Why is that, why is that allowed? You know well, what I'm I don't care that they teach one, I care that they only teach one. I'm gonna wrap up this show, but I love that question and I would love to start 
the next show, if nothing else is pressing on this issue, because it's a fascinating issue, legally, morally, a few other adverbs that I can't think of. Um, Ed, closing, closing words? Well, I mean, we can talk about it next week, but just to answer Jody's last comment, uh, earlier, earlier this summer, the Supreme Court uh, struck down the, the Montana program where they weren't allowed, where it wasn't allowed to give money to public, to private schools that were religious. So um, I think that, I think the Supreme Court has heard the issue and I don't think it's as one-sided as you make it sound. Um, you know, I, I think that the government telling us what to think and how to think is, is a real problem. I think that if, you know, you know, I think all of us on this panel are going to have deep suspicions at the very least on government thought control. And that's really what public education is. Um, you know, if, if the government were to sit there and tell us that they have to tell us how adults think, you know, we would all object or most of us would object that that's a, that's a form of censorship. But when they do the exact same thing to our children, nobody, you know, nobody seems to object to it. So, um, but I, you know, good show. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'll toss it to, to the rest of you. Yeah, just to whet the appetite a little bit, to me, the question is, is atheism a religion? And part Marxism of religion. your question, Jody, is why is the government supporting atheistic beliefs, beliefs and not religious beliefs? And I have some interesting points I can make about that, but we, we can make that next week, hopefully. Um, Elliot, any closing words? Yeah, maybe maybe one of the topics that we didn't get a chance to cover, I know it was in the notes, we were going to try to cover it. They were all going to, you know, joke about who Biden's going to pick to be his running mate, who would really be, you know, the uh, front the, the front man of the operation because he's not all there. Um, I hope he picks Kamala Harris. I think, I think Harris and Biden together just make an incredible team who maybe could, could get Trump to win 50 states, maybe even. Um, so if he picks Harris, Biden and Harris can lose 50 states. Democrats can cry again, like in 2016, and then California will be so upset they'll uh, finally swim off to the West. Well, hopefully, West hopefully by next week he'll have made his pick so this can be retrospective and not prospective. Jody, any closing words? Um, yeah, I'm with Elliot. I don't think he's going to pick her, but I'll be happy if he does. I wanted to just say real quick, going back to the beginning of the show, um, you know, one of the things I learned being reformed liberal. My body, my choice for me, but not for thee. Um, civil disobedience for me, but not for thee. Uh, you know, abortion is certain death. It's certain, by definition, abortion is death, but you not marrying a mask may or may not. I'm just saying the whole hypocrisy of the left really has helped fuel my further running to the right. And this show just highlights that. And I think the media is what keeps the left from realizing how hypocritical they are. Because I believe if we only read the New York Times and only watched CNN, MSNBC, we would also be liberals. Anyway, with that, we'll wrap it up. Um, hope to see everybody back next week. Within a couple of hours, you'll find this podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud by searching for The Liberty Block. Have a wonderful week. Remember to subscribe. Remember to subscribe. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.